0: Welcome to the Voice Over Work Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Newton Media Group, a family of creative services. Today is Thursday, August 26th, 2021. How do we improve our sleep? The first step is to understand your sleep biology, and the next is to learn to work with it so you're waking up refreshed each morning and with a full tank your circadian rhythm is your body's own inbuilt sense of when to wake and when to sleep parts of your body perceive and respond to changes in light around you and move through cycles with physical and behavioral changes occurring over a 24-hour period interfere with this cycle and you push against your body's own physiological clock A common way we all do this is to surround ourselves with harsh artificial light at times of the day that our ancestors would have spent in darkness or low light your rhythms are set by light in the environment if you're in the habit of using led displays on devices a few hours before bed starting to phase them out can do wonders for your sleep quality if you must use these devices install apps that turn down the blue light and amp up the yellow, or else dial down the screen brightness completely. Just as fading light signals bedtime to your body, bright light indicates that it's time to wake up. When you wake up in the morning, make a habit of exposing yourself to bright sunlight as soon as possible after you wake to kickstart your system. In fact, when it comes to sleep, routine and consistency are the goal. Pay attention to the times you wake up and go to bed and maintain a fixed routine, making sure to keep your sleeping hours properly dark and your waking hours as bright as possible. Do everything you can to cut down on blinking lights in your bedroom and invest in blackout curtains, especially in summer. Keep naps to a minimum, 20 minutes at most, and time them for early afternoon, no later. Finally, take some time to figure out your chronotype, i.e., your unique pattern of wakefulness. Are you an early riser who goes to bed early too? Or are you a night owl who only really peps up at around 10.30 in the morning? We're all different. And this has been borne out through psychological testing and categorizing of people into larks, early birds, or night owls. The key is to recognize and respect your own needs and limitations If you have always been someone who falls asleep early in the evening, go with it. Wake early, do most of your work and exercise in the morning and allow yourself to cycle down naturally as the day wears on. Make adjustments so that you work with rather than against your natural rhythms. Mental and emotional factors play heavily into the quality of sleep too. We know that a poor night's sleep will leave you feeling bad during the day but the experiences you have in your waking life can carry over to your sleep too. In fact, many people's sleep disorders are vicious cycles and reinforcing behaviors that keep poor sleep habits going. Do whatever you can to reduce stress in your life. Take frequent breaks throughout the day. Even a five minute pause to meditate quietly or focus on deep breathing is enough to lower your cortisol levels and help you find your center again. One of the best things you can do to improve your sleep quality is to have a daily bedtime ritual you can depend on. You can decide on exactly what will work for you, but the important thing is that it's a habit and it's something that signals your body that it's time for sleep. Do stressful, energetic things earlier in the day and save quieter, slower activities for before bed. Avoid excess stimulation like exercise, stressful work, emotional arguments, or upsetting TV in the evening, and do things that calm you down. A hot bath, visualization, a massage, yoga, a little light reading, or taking the time to do a little beauty ritual will all put you in a relaxed state of mind. If you're someone who has difficulty with insomnia or poor sleep hygiene, a big part of your ritual will be to program yourself with a more relaxed attitude toward sleep in general. Deliberately take the time to wind down and empty your thoughts. Tell yourself, it's not the end of the world if you don't sleep properly. Just relax, take your time, and rest. If you haven't fallen asleep after around 20 minutes... Get up out of bed and go somewhere else to do a calming activity. A cup of tea, doodling in a journal, or listening to a quiet podcast are all great ideas. Insomnia can feed on itself if you allow yourself to worry that you're not sleeping well. Your attitude towards sleep is just as important as the more practical factors. Actively remind yourself, It's okay if I don't fall asleep. I'll still get rest even if I just hang out here for a while. Don't put pressure on yourself to sleep right. What could be more unrelaxing than that? If you can't fall asleep, don't linger in bed, or else you may create negative associations with that space. It's a good idea to reserve this area for sleep and sex solely. You might find that spending a little time making your own sleep sanctuary goes a long way toward telling your unconscious mind what to expect when you get into bed. Choose relaxing, decluttered decor. Good quality bedding, blackout curtains, breathable pajamas, and possibly sleep masks and earplugs will do wonders. Ensure your mattress is firm and doesn't keep you overly hot, and that the room is quiet, dark, and slightly colder than you'd normally like. Make sure there's good airflow without any drafts. Do something about snoring partners and or pets who hog all the space. Give yourself a pillow you love and you're ready to go. Finally, if you're a frequent flyer or find yourself sleeping in hotels often, take some time to figure out ways to mediate the disruption. Over-the-counter melatonin pills can help with jet lag and the occasional sleeping pill or natural remedy can help break a bad sleep cycle, when used only very occasionally, that is. Overall, there's a lot you can do to honor your natural limits and needs and work with your biology, rather than fight it. In case you haven't noticed, the latter never works out well anyway. And this goes beyond just ensuring you get better sleep. Your circadian rhythm is about the complete ebb and flow of your energy throughout the day. There are certain times you're going to be more active and energized, and others, you're going to be more mellow. Knowing when these times occur means you can schedule your life to better fit your natural cycles. People are not machines with uniform, unwavering energy levels no matter the time of day. Firstly, Bear in mind that there's nothing innately superior about being a morning person, and you won't magically be more productive just because you force forced yourself to wake up earlier or get more things done before lunchtime. As we've seen, this advice works for some chronotypes, but not everyone will actually be more productive this way. The old early-to-bed, early-to-rise wisdom is not for everyone, in other words, rather You need to look at the times when your body is naturally more awake and make sure you've scheduled your work to coincide with that. It doesn't matter whether this is comfortably done in the morning or almost midnight. If it fits your chronotype and energy levels, it works. How do you find your peak hours? First, become curious about your actual habits over a period of a week. Note the times of day you were most productive. Look for patterns, not just in energy levels, but in enthusiasm and emotions too. Look for what inspires energy outbursts, and when you have the most output work-wise. Now, the obvious next step is to make sure you're taking advantage of that energy spike by booking these peak hours and managing your other less important or less demanding tasks outside that window. Essentially, You're budgeting and managing your energy just as you would your time and money, using what you have most efficiently. Another way to look at it is by taking the circadian rhythm and extrapolating it into our ultradian rhythms, which are the rhythms that move us through the 24-hour cycle of our lives. Sleep researcher Neil Kleitman identified the presence and importance of rapid eye movement REM sleep and discovered that the body generally operates in 90-minute cycles, moving progressively through periods of higher and lower alertness. In other words, our energy and alertness come in 90-minute chunks. These 90-minute cycles apply whether we're awake or asleep, and we can use this information in a few ways. First, we now know there's essentially a time limit to energetic and productive thinking. It's not endless. In fact, it might be capped at 90 minutes at a time. At the end of an intense 90 minute work period, we grow fatigued and begin relying on stress hormones for energy. Then suffering from overload, the prefrontal cortex begins to shut down and we move into fight or flight mode. We may attempt to override the body's signals by fueling ourselves with caffeine and sugar, but in the end, Our focus and concentration suffer. Additional research from the US Army Research Institute backs up the findings and supports the 90-minute periods of focus and energy. The point here is to listen to your body. It is telling you exactly how it prefers to function. Besides creating 90-minute cycles, The Ultradian rhythm also distributes these peaks and dips of energy throughout a 24 hour period in specific ways. There are certain times when you can maximize your thinking, and others when you're setting yourself up for failure. Of course, keep in mind these are averages, and outliers do exist. As we move through a typical day, it takes a few hours after waking to reach our peak levels of energy and alertness. For many people, The late morning hours after 10 a.m. represent the highest period of mental sharpness and focus. This is when you might take advantage of your brain functioning at its peak, but remember, you probably have only 90 minutes on average. Soon after lunch, our energy levels begin to decline. According to Christopher Barnes' writing in the Harvard Business Review, our body's energy naturally dips somewhere between 2 and 3 p.m., possibly because we're at the midpoint of our wake cycle. For thousands of years, humans have rested during the afternoon. Think of the Spanish concept of the midday siesta or nap. And only since the Industrial Revolution imposed an emphasis on mass productivity have we begun to eliminate this critical period of rest for the 9-to-5 workday. After we hit that afternoon dip, our energy levels begin rising again, and we generally hit our second peak around 6 p.m. As the evening wears on, our energy diminishes, slowly transitioning into sleep cycles. The ultradian rhythm of energy is something that rules our day-to-day existence. You can fight it, but why would you? Work within the simple guideline it lays out for your energy, and you'll find that smarter thinking becomes the rule rather than the exception. Find your most energetic and productive hours. What is the optimal time of the day to work? The answer will not be the same for everyone. With a little curiosity and self-observation, you can figure out how to structure your daily life, whether that's concerning work, your own creative projects, or even with workouts. The first question to ask is, what time of the day do I have the greatest amount of energy and concentration? Look for the time of day where you feel most optimistic Enthusiastic and alive, this is the time of day you're most likely to be inspired to spring into action. You may even have a double peak or a small second wind after your first wave of energy. You're most likely not going to be most energized right before sleep or immediately after a big meal. Tip, most of us are not wired to have strong periods of productivity following a big meal. The second question to ask is, At what time of day do I have the fewest interruptions and distractions? Being productive is more than just managing your natural ebbs and flows. We're all blessed with an energy peak every day, but we may nevertheless experience that peak right at the time we're most likely to get distracted. Having things interrupt and derail you right at the time you're most able to do deep and creative work is bad news, for obvious reasons. But how do you deal with it? You can pair your self-knowledge, i.e., understanding where your peak is, with a realistic appraisal of your life obligations and challenges. Understanding how it all fits allows you to plan ahead and make allowances and adjustments where possible. You can't change your productivity zone, and you often can't move external obligations and obstacles, but you can certainly wiggle things around a bit. If you predict an interruption in your work zone, try to mindfully divide that zone or extend it a little on either side see what can be done to move the distraction, delegate, or reorganize. If your whole style of life is working against you, however, you may need to consider bigger changes, such as changing jobs, getting child care, or working from home, where you can more readily capitalize on your rhythms. A third question is, what work will I do and when? Different kinds of work require different amounts and kinds of energy. Returning to our concept of the energy pyramid, take a moment to categorize the day's tasks. Do they require mental, emotional, physical, or even spiritual energy? Next, ask where you can schedule them so they're most neatly aligning with your own natural peaks. Plan physical exercise and challenging, problem-solving work for the morning when you know you're going to be sharpest, and reserve the more admin-style jobs for later when you're feeling more mellow. If you know you have a particularly emotionally draining day ahead, you may choose to dial back on the physical and mental demands so you can focus on that. It's a question of doing the right work at the right time. One useful strategy is to identify just one or two main goals for that day. Pour most of your energy and focus into that, knowing that you can get to the other stuff afterward. You'll find that ticking the big, impactful items off the list first will leave you feeling accomplished and confident, and you can actually relax more completely for the rest of the day. The final question to ask is, how can I strategically deal with interruptions? Interruptions, temptations, and distractions are a fact of life. You might as well prepare for them. We already know that the mind's performance and efficacy start to wane, after 90 minutes anyway, so can you find a way to squeeze in external demands without breaking your focus and momentum? If something comes up and disrupts you, try to work it into the day, delegate or buy time until you're finished with what you're doing. Sometimes a distraction is merely a sign of poor discipline or planning. For example, you may simply need to make sure you're not checking your emails or phone while working. All those messages can definitely wait. Communicate to others that you don't want to be interrupted and make sure you're not setting yourself up to fail by choosing to work at the time of day you're most likely to get distracted. If an interruption is really unavoidable, you might choose to just allow it and enjoy it, knowing that you can take a full rest and return to your work later, recharged and raring to go again. Life happens. It's not the end of the world to not meet your schedule goals 100% of the time. Here are those questions again. What time of the day do I have the greatest amount of energy and concentration? At what time of day do I have the fewest interruptions and distractions? What work will I do and when? How can I strategically deal with interruptions? If your peak productivity lines up perfectly with your lowest time of distraction, that's great but chances are the alignment isn't quite perfect. Here's how you can manage that. Productivity curves, stress curves, and communication curves. You can think of your energy, focus, and productivity rising and falling on a graph with time on the x-axis, your circadian rhythm, with shorter cycles of around 90 minutes rising and falling within that, ultradian rhythms. But at the same time, there are other things going on. Your actual work schedule fixed by your workplace, incoming calls and meetings and messages, as well as high-stress moments that demand a reaction from you. When you can visualize all of these curves interacting, it becomes clear where your sweet spots are. Somewhat counterintuitively, the Yerkes-Dodson law tells us that just the right amount of stress at the right time can actually increase our productivity. For difficult tasks, performance increases with increased arousal stress, but only up to a point after which it impairs it. The same is not true for simple tasks, which don't show the same impairment. Therefore, it's not a question of reducing stress across the board, but being more conscious and deliberate about how to plan, manage, and prepare for stress in the right quantities. One final factor is the communication curve. Cal Newport, author of Deep Work, suggests a variation to the Yerkes-Dodson Law that shows how engaging with emails and messages also increases productivity and performance, but again, only up to a point beyond which they start to decrease performance. Again, it's not about banishing instant messaging or emails entirely, but finding that sweet spot. Let's put it all together our energy curve is innate and our energy finite. Stress and distractions, for example, from communication are beneficial, but only up to a point. When planning our days, we can consider all these parameters and then make informed intelligent decisions about how to schedule our time. Rather than it being black or white, juggling these variables gives us ranges to work with. For example, You might decide to schedule in 90 minutes to do deep work on a challenging problem, but you also know that this coincides with the time you tend to get a lot of emails and when stressful demands start to be made on you. Knowing this, you shift the work a little earlier in the day. In this way, you can see time management is not the full story. You also need to manage your energy, your stress levels, and your incoming communications. Practicing this kind of energy management doesn't mean that you get it right every single day, but armed with this knowledge, you're always prepared to respond in the moment in a way that optimizes your output, no matter the constraints. Have More Energy, a blueprint for productivity, focus, and self-discipline for the perpetually tired and lazy. Written by Peter Hollins, narrated by Russell Newton. To learn more about today's author or book, please visit Amazon.com or Audible.com. With an eclectic collection of water cooler knowledge, inspirational stories, and motivational thoughts from some of the newest audiobooks on the market, this has been the Voice Overwork podcast, brought to you by Newton Media Group, a family of creative services.